Hey Goat Gabbers! For this week's episode, Cameron and I enjoyed a chat with Cade Cockburn, who's one of the coolest 17-year-old dairy goat breeders you'll ever meet. Cade shares with us his story of success behind Cade's little farm and how he has made big business out of little goats. Join us! Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Goat Gab here. I'm Cameron. And I'm Laura. And today we have a special guest, Cade Cockburn from Cade's Little Farm here. Cade, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your farm, and uh, yeah, just kind of your operation. Yeah, so my name's Cade Cockburn. I'm 17 years old. I'm a senior in high school and I raise a herd of Nigerian dwarf dairy goats in Johnston City, Illinois. We are an Adga Plus herd. Uh, I cl- attend close to 10 Adga sanctioned shows per year. I enjoy participating in linear appraisal and DHI, and I love listening to Goat Gab because you guys have the same goat problem that I do. <laughs> Is it too many and goats? What was that problem? <laughs> um, I guess too many goats, yeah. <laughs> That's part of it. We, we hear that from a lot of people, Cade. <laughs> I yes, think, good. I think, you know, when, when you know that you have other addicts, I mean, other people who are, who are facing the same things you do, it makes you not feel quite so alone, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree on that there. So Cade, I guess let's just go around here and let's, let's talk about what's happened on your farm. Cade, what's, what's going on? Kind of an update in your week here. Um, I, it's November on a goat farm. I'm wrapping up breeding season. I have a few left that need to be bred. Um, I've sent off some blood tests waiting on some results. For that, uh, we got a new ultrasound machine, so me and my dad have had some fun playing around with that and trying to figure out what we're seeing and what we're not. Um, you know, it's just, it's breeding season. Yeah. I can totally empathize with that, Cade. We got a new ultrasound machine also, and, um, you know, as I told as I told our listeners last week, the people who do it quite often make it look so easy, yes. you know, that you just, just go in there and, Oh, look, there they are. And I can count three babies in there. Well, let's go on to the next one. And I I've been like, okay, is that an alien? Is that a bladder? Yeah. Uh, what the heck am I looking at? So, <laughs> um, you know, kind of the same thing. I, I did spend a little time myself this weekend with it and feel like I have a much better handle on it. At least I'm feeling good about saying whether they're pregnant or not pregnant. Yeah. Uh, maybe not so much on counting embryos yet, but it, it is kind of cool to look at something like that, isn't it, Kate? And think, oh yeah, I do think that she's pregnant. This is well, awesome. And it's also kind of nice because you don't have to wait on a blood test and I don't have to wait for a day to get the vet to come out and do all of them. If I've got, if I've got one, I can you know, I can push it and see on day 25 if she's carrying or not. And it's just kind of cool to be able to see it earlier, I think. Yeah, very cool. Very yeah, cool. Laura, Laura, that picture you sent me, I actually forwarded on to Catherine. Hopefully that was okay. And she was sure. like, yeah, she's got like two embryos in there is what she thought. So that's okay. You know, I'll take two. That's that's just <laughs> fine. She's had quad, She had quads the two years before that. So two would be a nice number. <laughs> Yeah. No. And Laura, anything else on the farm besides the uh, playing with the ultrasound machine there? No, that's about it. You know, it was, I, I uh, got to do that yesterday and that was just a really nice leisurely afternoon. So uh, the weather's been still nice this weekend. So I'm just trying to get all those barn things done that, um, you know, need to need to be done before it gets really awful outside. So I cleaned up the milk room for the last time. So it's ready to go for kidding season. And uh, one thing I wanted to share, uh, Jennifer Lawrence had, has talked before when I've, when I've chatted with her about how much her goats like animal crackers. <laughs> and um, my middle daughter um, housed that for her last year. And she just talked about how much fun it was to have a treat that those goats are just crazy over. So I decided to try that. And, and I've learned that my goats like nutter butters. That's kind of an expensive treat. They like <laughs> granola bars and that's expensive. The animal crackers, they almost climb the fence to get, they are crazy about it. So if you haven't tried animal crackers with your goats, it's hilarious. Even the ones that are standoffish will beat everybody out of the way to come up and get it. So we, we had a good little, uh, a friendly session yesterday giving animal crackers again to the goats. They thought that was pretty great. 
Well, Laura, yeah. it is not friendly at my barn when I give out right. animal crackers. They <laughs> they are banned. Oh, really? I just have Nigerians, and you can't imagine how bad I get trampled. So I can't imagine what it'd be with Alpines. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe it's universal. Maybe they all yeah. like them. No animal crackers are allowed. I, I have not tried it. <laughs> I have not tried well, it yet, to- but... <laughs> We'll have to see. Yeah, what you'll happens. have to get it out, Cameron. It's it's cheap. You can get a humongo bag for like two fifty, and um, yeah, it it they stand outside in the barn pretty well. I just have them in a screw top little container, and and yeah, they, your goats will love you more than they do now. Okay, yeah, I'll take some notes here. But uh, on my farm, um, we got the pregnancy results back. Um, I'm not. 15 of 17 were bred, so that's good. Um, two of the AIs came back in, one that Aww. I did um, myself, which was okay. We kind of figured that, but she hadn't recycled since late August, or uh, she hasn't cycled for us since late August. So um, that was that was a treat to find that out. Well, it's always good to get that confirmation if you can yeah. believe it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely there. Um, and then the other one we talked about our, um, on the podcast that uh, that AI where we called an audible, that one didn't take either. But you know what? That's okay. And it was trust trying something different. And, um, you know, we'll just we'll live and learn and we'll move on. And I've already given them um, a shot of Estromate, which is like Lutalase, and uh, they should be in heat here tomorrow. So speaking of AIs, I did have a question for you, Cameron and Cade. I know that you guys use AI too, right? We have a tank, but we've not actually started yet. Oh, fun. Okay. So talk to me about letting your goat sniff the straw. (laughs) The sniffing the straw. And someone else uh, on Facebook, um, posted that there it's an old wives tale that my dad first learned when he was first taught ai from brian heiser who was originally from illinois now he lives uh, in california and helps carol Mann out at the old english herd um that old wives tale i i think because there's no interact physical interaction there the old wife tale says with a little bit of intimacy there hopefully helping him there but um we just do it as just to, just to follow the wives tale and it doesn't work always but oh. sometimes it does well, I, you know, I thought I heard you say something about that, but I thought, no, surely I didn't hear him right. And then I saw something on Facebook where somebody actually had a picture. I think it was, was it Dustin? It was Dustin was Julie and Julie. And, and, Julie Mathis was doing an AI for Dustin. Yeah, they were sniffing the straw and, like, and, they, and they tagged me and my dad in it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Also on, well, on the farm front. Um, and one question I wanted to talk to you guys about, we talked about sales a little bit, um, in an an episode with Sarah Cohen Wahlberg and and whatnot. And we have a situation here where we had sold a mature buck to someone and we think he might be throwing blanks. So I guess what do, yes. So it's a hard situation to have. Um, but I guess what do you two recommend if that situation has, and and I think I know what I'm going to do, but I guess I would want to hear some feedback from you guys. Um, so I personally haven't had that situation other than I sold a buck last, last fall, like in September and he didn't settle anything last year, but he was also a baby buck. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my words to them were get back with me the following year. If you know, you know, I'll I'll lease you a buck. We'll figure something out. I want to make it right with a mature buck. Um, is he like an old buck? I think he's like two. Oh, yeah, he's two. He'd be two. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, don't know. I think I would. Ugh, I don't know. Um, have they had their vet do a workup? And No, not yet. Not yet. They said they just started breeding season here. But the reason why I know um, is because we sold some goats that were um, pen bred by him. And they apparently 42 days later, they're just getting back to us saying that these goats are in heat again. So. It's like, okay, well, what do, what do we, why, first off, my question is, and if they're listening, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll be pretty blunt here, is why didn't you tell us earlier so we could work to rectify the situation? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, the only concern, I mean, so the does, hmm, 
gosh, yeah. I don't it, know, Cameron. Cade, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the guidebook of, speaks to this. It's kind of tough yeah. because you don't know if it's the Bucks' problem or if it's their management problem and their does are having trouble settling. But I'll talk about a similar experience I've had as uh, several years ago when we just started into goats. A breeder sold us a kid. She was two weeks old at the bottle baby, and she ended up being a free martin. Um, no fault oh, of wow. the breeders. Um, so she replaced her for us after our vet confirmed that it was a free martin. And actually, I sold a goat last year who we just now confirmed can't be bred. So I refunded the money on that one. Um, so I don't know what you'd do in that situation since it's a buck, but in the past, I've replaced or refunded the money. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of the situation that we're leading to, or replacing it. Um, obviously, it puts them at a disadvantage for this year, though, hoping to get goats bred and um, whatnot. It's just a, it's a tricky situation, but I think it, I was like, well, I'm going to bring it up on the podcast and see what everybody else thinks. You know, I think I think it's like anything else in life. If you can show grace and do what you can to make it right with the customer, I don't think that's ever a wrong answer. Absolutely. On the other hand, there are a lot of things that can happen with animals once they leave your once they leave your management. And so, um, you know, before I would before I would replace a buck or whatever, I would ask to have a vet work up. You know, did this buck did he possibly have a fever? Um, you know, did they maybe worm him with something or give him some medication that made him temporarily infertile or is there just i mean is he just done you know heaven forbid a two-year-old but i guess it could happen but i do think i do think there's an area of suggested practices in the guidebook too that kind of can help with that decision also Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't know that that's something i'll look at here and and yeah when we talk with both parties we'll go from there but yeah that's the that's the bad news on the week on this week front here and it's a difficult situation but of course, in a line of transparency, we're going to talk about it. Well, I and you know, it, I think it's good to know, just like Cade said, <laughs> other people have problems too that, that most of us run through with our goats and, and a problem like that, if you haven't had it yet, it's yet. It, it'll probably yeah. come down the pike too. So it's always good to know how other people handle it. So this would be yeah. something for sure. I would think our listeners want to, want to weigh in on, we'd surely... Yeah, if you have any comments or anything, shoot us a message, comment on the comment on the link, and just let us know. Yeah, what your what your thoughts are on this? We definitely love some For feedback sure. um, on how this goes here. But I think diving right in to let's let's get to know Kate a little bit and and whatnot there, Laura. You want to take the first question? Well, so Kate, I was looking actually. I found an article um, about you and about your herd on on the internet. Isn't the internet a wonderful thing? <laughs> Yeah. And it talked about why you got into goats for the first, when, why you got your first goats. I think it's a really neat story. Would you mind sharing that with us? Sure. So for some reason, ever since I could talk, I have always, I had always wanted goats. Now, why I wanted goats always, I can't tell you. That is just always something that I had wanted ever since I can remember. I'd always beg my parents, goats, goats, goats. And You know, my parents had never been around livestock before. It's not like I was born into goats like a lot of people think when they first meet me. Um, The answer was always, no, uh, you can't, you know, that'll be a lot of responsibility. You're seven years old. You wouldn't want to take care of them. Um, So I always got turned down. But in second grade, I came down with a bacterial infection called C. diff that almost took my life three different times. Um, I missed over 40 days of school and I lost like 40 pounds. And that's as a second grader, you know, I was seven years old. And one of those times when I was laying there pretty much lifeless, my dad just told me, Kate, if you will get better, I will get you those goats. So a couple of days later, I woke up and they didn't even know that I'd even heard him because I was just laying there lifeless. And I said, so did somebody say that they were going to get me some goats? And I have (laughs) not looked back since then. So we joke, they say, I went to uh, I went to an extreme to get those goats, but I did what I had to do. That's awesome. Wow. I, I have goosebumps right now. That's such a cool story. Maybe it, listeners, maybe not let your kids hear that. <laughs> if you're listening to Goat Gab, you probably already have goats, but that's a pretty, uh, C. diff is a pretty scary, pretty scary illness to have. And that's, that is yes. quite a, a deep way to go into that. So. Mm-hmm. So you so you got some goats and did you start with the Nigerians or did you did you get a full size breed or what was the what what did what did Travis buy you there? Well, 
everybody asks me why I don't show big goats. They, uh, they say I'm too tall to be showing Nigerians, but I tell them I, I was seven years old when I started. So Nigerians were the perfect breed at the time. Uh, we started off with a couple of well, registered and unregistered Nigerians. Uh, they're mostly pet quality. And it took me a couple of years, but I finally got myself to a goat show and realized that I was hooked. And I have never looked back since then. We, you know, eventually phased out those pet quality animals and got into better genetics and showing and got interested in the linear appraisal and the milk test. And now that encompasses my entire life. And you do have, now I know that I have seen you with, is it a La Mancha grade doe or maybe she's a full La Mancha? I know I've seen you show something bigger than a Nigerian. Yes, I did. A couple of years ago, they told me that I really needed a bigger goat for showmanship, especially at national. You know, if I'm going to be out there for an hour and a half, I don't need my back breaking. I need a bigger goat. So I did get a couple of La Manchas, and I did have a La Mancha gray doe, and I played around with them for a while. But I'm down to one La Mancha kid left, and I've mostly decided that I'm going to stick with the Nigerians. Um, And I'll probably use that one La Mancha kid as my showmanship doe when she gets a little older. But right now, the main focus is the Nigerians. And Kate, and Kate, you've done very well at past national shows, the local shows. How did you kind of scale your herd and work from the pet quality side all the way up to where you are today? We were very blessed and probably this was before we'd even went out, you know, in search of quality animals. We were blessed with a buck from Terry Babbitt, Old South Farm. His name was Bandit. We didn't even know what we were looking for. He was out of a first freshener by the name of Galloway, and she was, I think, a yearling at the time, and he ended up being the foundation buck that most of our animals go back to. You know, a lot of people ask me about uh, Magic, Meggie, Revlon, some of our Finnish champions and SG does, they're all bandit daughters. You look at most of our young does, we still have bandit kids in the herd, uh, bandit grandkids, great-grandkids, most of our herd goes back to him. So we were fortunate to be able to have that good foundation buck at the very beginning, and we've just... Uh, line bred and worked closely with those genetics ever since. And that's got us where we are today. So Cade, when I've looked at your animals, one of the things, one of the things that has really impressed me with your Nigerian herd is um, the extreme height and width and just overall area of attachment. Um, That's something that, that there are some lines in the Nigerians that it seems like it's really hard to get established in there. And, you just really have that in there. Is that coming from that bandit buck? It does come from him. Uh, if you look, I mean, he could fix, you could breed him to the worst goat there was in your barn and he would fix that udder. And you can tell just by looking wow. at it, that's a bandit daughter, just looking at his udders. So we've really built on that. Uh, we've used his does heavily. We're using a son out of him now. Um, and his kids have been nicest, nice as well. We have actually Axel, who's a bandit son, his daughter, Hocus Pocus, this year, finished as a two-year-old first freshener. So the consistency is really there, and we've been blessed to be able to work with that. And, you know, we brought in a couple of different lines since then, but we've mainly stayed with Bandit as our foundation, and that's worked well for us. And as our first Nigerian dwarf breeder on the podcast, um, thinking about the gene pool of Nigerians, do you stay a little closer in your lines because the gene pool is so big and you want to – you know, accentuate certain traits or do you just go and find, you know, something you really like when we bred La Manchas back in the day, we would just go find something that we liked and we thought could improve upon. And we just brought it in and it seemed to have worked, but in Alpines, it's a completely different story. So how do you, how do you go about making those genetic and breeding decisions there? Uh, It's pretty similar to what you did with your La Manchas, Cameron. Uh, We like to, we breed for what we like. Like Laura said, we like a long, dairy animal with with a strong productive mammary system that's high and wide so we we try to find those traits and build off of that and i'll say this i've noticed this is a problem with the nigerian breed and it's something that a problem i had at the beginning too before i really knew what i was doing is that i've noticed a lot of people go out and buy from this herd buy from that herd and have you know a hodgepodge of goats out there and i found you can't really build a consistent breeding program doing that um it's really best to line breed off of a couple of animals and build that consistency. So that's what we've done with traits that we like and that we like to see and have stayed really on one path the whole time. That sounds like a good uh, program for anybody, no matter what breed you're working in. So uh, Mm -hmm. very awesome. 
so um <clears throat> your raw milk business uh this article that i looked at said that you guys uh were awarded the very first raw milk raw raw milk license in illinois for your goat herd can you talk a little bit about that and what made you decide to make that plunge well, it's something that we'd always planned for and always had hoped to do. We were just kind of waiting for the law to be passed. Um, and it's really a good way for us to be able to get rid of that extra milk. And with that, we're able to pay for all of our feed with milk money. So it really offsets a lot of cost and it helps to make sure the goats pay for themselves and that they're not just, you know, we're not simply breaking even. That's another another way to make money and another way to pay for the the various expenses that you have when you're raising goats. And so how, how did, many milk how did you, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask how many milk customers do you have and do you have them year round? Uh pretty much we have a lot of people that come and try it, but we also have several faithfuls. I'd say we probably have uh 8 to 10 families right now that come faithfully. And, and buy milk from us. And then we all the time have people that are trying it. But the problem, the com one complaint that we have with the law in Illinois, the way it's read is that you cannot sell milk off the property. I cannot go to a farmer's market. I cannot sell it at a Whole Foods store. They must come to the farm to buy it. And we feel like that is a little bit of a setback. And we really hope that at some point that gets changed in the law so that we can branch out a little bit and e get even more customers. Interesting. Um, so how much, I guess, how do you sell your milk? Is it, do you throw back with the nostalgia glass containers? Is it in, you know, milk jug, jugs you get? Or how, how do you package your milk there for your customers? Well, once it comes out of the milk pail, we put it straight into farm fresh bottles and put that in the fridge. And then when the customers come to buy the milk, we normally give them an option. If they also have farm fresh bottles, sometimes we'll just trade. Um, but most of them we sell out of we pour from the farm fresh bottles into FDA approved gallon jugs. Gotcha. And then, so, yeah. So Go you ahead. have to buy those jugs and have those on hand for them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess starting when you, when did you first have this idea to come and sell raw milk for, for your, for customers? Well, when we, when we built our new goat barn, when we outgrew the first barn, uh, my dad, we, we decided to build the new milking room with the goal in mind of one day being able to sell raw milk. So we made sure to have a milking room installed um, that has hot water, that has electricity, and that had a lot of the things needed beforehand, before the law was even passed. So that's always been a goal of ours and something that we had wanted to do to be able to get rid of that extra milk and not just dump it or, you know, just give it away. So once the law was finally passed, we had most of what we needed based on the way we built our milk room in our barn and we were able to do that then. Okay. And then, so, so what year did you start with this? I guess, when did you build your new barn would be my first question. The barn was built, I think it was 2013. Okay. And then when did you get the approval for raw milk distribution and sales? I think that was March of 2017. Okay. And then, um, so was it a process of paperwork working with the state? Um, what I walk me through that process. So if I lived in Illinois and I was a listener, which I do live in Illinois, um, and I wanted to start selling raw milk, maybe how could I implement that on my farm? It is a process of working with the state. Um, and like I said, we had a lot of the things that were needed. Once we looked at the specifics of the law, uh, we had to redo our walls so that they could be washable. Um, and you also had, we also had to redo our lighting system so that we had complete overhead lighting. Um, but you have to have running water, you know, you have to have electricity, you have to have a way to keep it refrigerated. And we found that that's just easiest to do. We sell right out of our milk room. So the milk is produced and sold in the exact same spot. When people come in, I can tell them this is where the goats are milked. This is how we do it. Here's where the milk goes into. Here are the animals that the milk is coming from. And we like to have that very transparent so that our customers can see you know, how our milk is produced and what they're getting. That's really interesting, Cade. Um, how many gallons do you sell then on the average in, in a week? Um, right now, I'm probably selling anywhere from eight to 10 gallons right now a week. I actually just, sold, I am sold out today. I've sold everything I have left. So 
if anybody wants milk tomorrow, they're going to have to wait a day or two. So with, <laughs> and with, with, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Laura. I didn't hear you. That's I'm sorry. Do you milk year round then? Um, well, most of our, we have a lot of does freshening in January and we milk them mostly pretty much. Normally we have about three weeks in December where we'll not be milking anything whatsoever. Um, and like I said, we freshen in January and we're on DHI. So we like to milk them all the way through. And especially those first fresheners, we found that it really helps them produce more later on if we push them that first year. So we're milking almost all year. And then sometimes we'll have fall kids and then that'll keep us in full milk year round. With those fall kids, are you, you're breeding, are you breeding, you know, your mature does? Are you breeding like junior dry yearlings for fall kids or what's that look like there? A lot of times I breed dry yearlings. Yeah, just just first fresheners. Nothing that, not necessarily that isn't going to be any good, but something that I might not necessarily get out into the show ring a lot that first year. So it's a way for us to see that udder a little sooner than having to wait for them to be first freshening two-year-olds, and it gives us that milk over the winter time. And knowing that, and, and freshening freshening does that you might need for milk, do you are you trying to keep a balance of having animals there that are productive, but might not be so so competitive in the show ring because you have this business, or is your focus mostly on the the per, the the business? Excuse me, the show ring my side. My focus there? is mostly yeah. My focus is mostly on the show ring side, but with that, we found that. If an, if an animal is competitive in the show ring, a lot of times they're closely going to follow in production is what we found personally. So we do a pretty we do a pretty good job of, I think, having animals that are successful in the show ring and that also milk their uh, milk their milk themselves through to make sure that they're productive on the farm. So we, if they're not going to compete well in the show ring, they're not going to stay here. If that answers your question, yeah, we found that normally they're able to do that. They're able to be productive and competitive in the show ring. So what you're saying is that you really have found that form follows function. I mean, if they're, if yeah. they're, if they're built to be a functional productive animal in your milk parlor, they're also going to do well in that show ring for you. Yes, I would say that. That's good to so hear. So how did you hear about the American Dairy Oat Association? Obviously I've been doing this for, you know, ever since I was born, ever since I could walk, I've been in a goat farm and a goat show, but, um, Cade, you showed up probably about what four, five, six years ago or so onto the scene and and was rolling. So, how did you kind of hear about goat shows and Adga and whatnot? Well, we we did start out with red, mostly registered goats. That was our big thing. Is we did want to have registered animals, but we just we didn't even know at the beginning that there was a whole world of showing and appraisal and milk testing and all of that. Um, so we started off with Adgar registered goats and we actually went to a goat show. I think it was the fall of 2013. Um, not knowing, you know, even how it was sanctioned or that was, that it was an Adgar event or anything like that. We just went to a goat show and I got hooked from that point on. We started showing in Adgar sanctioned shows. Um, and there's been no looking back since then. So I guess I started into it with registered goats and just as I progressed into, the program I found more of what Agda provides to its members and what and how I can utilize that in my own breeding program. Cade, do you dual register your Nigerians? I used to, and I don't anymore. Right now, the main focus is Agda. Very good. Yeah. With that being said, thinking about more of the show side here, um, talk to me about you're you're part of the committee that run help runs that six ring show six six rings of Nigerians, correct? Right. Talk to me about that show a little bit um, and and how it flows. I think I've judged it once or twice. And talk about that flow a little bit because it looks different than a regular show does. Right. So I, I will mention that when I first started off showing, we found the Land of Lincoln Nigerian Dwarf Goat Club, which is a club based out of Illinois. And the goal of that club is to help new family mem- It's a family-oriented club made to help new people. You know, kids like me who didn't know a thing going in, learn that, teach them how to show a goat, teach them how to manage their goats without having to go to a huge six ring show like in Bloomington or something like that. So that's where I learned a lot of what I know today is in a, in a pretty laid back environment only with Nigerian breeders. And then we found that uh, the dairy goat industry is moving 
away from the Nigerian Dwarf Goat Association, like it was when we first started, and it's moving over to Adga now, mostly. So that Six Rings show, we decided that I, I'm act, I'm pretty sure it's the only Six Ring Ni- Nigerian only show in the country. Um, we wanted to have that show so that we can bring in those people who didn't used to show with the Land of Lincoln show, with the Land of Lincoln Club because it was NDGA. We're bringing in a lot new, a lot of new people because it is a Six Ring Adga show, and it is a very if you're exhibiting at that show, it, it it was very grueling. I will say that because I was showing goats in every single class, and it did not stop because there were no other breeds in between. So we're we're happy to be able to put that on in Ducoin. I think it's a pretty good location. We get a lot of people from farther south and even in you know into Missouri and Indiana. So we just like to be able to have that six ring Nigerian only show. It's a little different than what we normally see. And a lot of people, I think, like that. How we, long does it take to get through? And what kind of numbers have you had at that show? Oh, this was actually, oh, well, this is the second year we've had the show, but the first time we had it in Ducoin. Last year we had it, I think, it was in northern Illinois up by Peoria. And we didn't have as great of numbers because it was not too long after the national show. And I think a lot of people were still recuperating their herds. So this year... Uh, it was actually it actually probably helped us that the national show got canceled. We had, I would say, close to two hundred animals or more at that show. Just Nigerian. Just Nigerian. Wow. Yes. That's that's impressive. I'd like to have. I wonder if you could do that for other breeds. Hmm. I'm sure you could. I, I would be interested to, to see if other breeds could could model off that success, especially um, if you have large pockets of breeds in an area. I look at. Uh, I, I'm just uh, trying to think. I'm just trying to think here. If you would do a show in Wisconsin and you would bring the hurt, the, the really competitive herds from Minnesota down, and there's obviously competitive herds in, in Wisconsin as well, in Illinois, and then there's competitive herds in Iowa. If you did a big Alpine show there, you know, just a single yes. Alpine show thing. But I, I, I really think the Nigerian dwarfs are popularizing this this single single breed shows. Yeah, I do too. That's pretty awesome. I think Nubians could do it. Yeah, I definitely yeah, you're in maybe it's gonna Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Huh. Very cool. Um, Cameron, I am really eager for you to ask this next question. Oh Lord. Will you please hit it since you're already talking oh. about shows? Oh yes, we're talking <laughs> about shows. So if you've ever been and Cade, you travel pretty far for shows, correct? Right. Yeah, I think this year you went to one in Georgia, if I remember correctly. You were at a show in Indiana with us. Yeah. You've been to Missouri in the past. I think one time, I think, because I've, I've had the opportunity to judge kids' goats because I, I judge a lot here in the mid in the Midwest. And uh, I think he showed in Missouri one week, and the next week he was over in Indiana showing at, at shows and whatnot. So um, you you get around a lot when to goat shows. Um, but one thing I, I noticed when Cade first came on the scene was he would have a big posse with him. They would all be rocking their Cade's Little Farm shirts, and they'd be sitting by the show ring. So when did you start rolling with that big posse? And then do you think that intimidates other people uh, when you come out with the big trailer and everybody coming and sitting by the ring? Do you think that's an intimidation factor there? <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly the goal. You, you cracked my secret. <laughs> <laughs> that way that way if a judge doesn't place me the way i want to they know that there will be consequences from the process <laughs> that's great I, just just for public record here but, i have never been intimidated by his posse as a judge well, as, as a as an exhibitor however i've been very impressed yes in all serious though we've always been a very close knit family and they they're with me pretty much every night at the barn. We're together and they're helping me. And you know, they're just as much involved in this as I am. And I've actually asked them several times. I've said, mom, I, I really think I should change my herd name because it doesn't give you guys enough credit for, for, for how much help you give me. And she says, no, you're not going to change your herd name, but I really do appreciate how much my family does help me. And I couldn't do it without them. And you know, Families go and support their kids at travel ball all summer. I've said before we need to get those shirts. You know, they have like number 24's mom or number 13's grandma or whatever. I said, we need to get some of those shirts for me. I said, um, so since I don't play sports or don't play football, I guess this is my football. And they like to travel and 
travel with me and support me through that. And I'm really blessed to be able to have that. I think that's pretty awesome. And, and it is pretty impressive to watch you guys roll in and, and I love the shirts. I'm like, gosh, if I could just get my people to wear things like that, that'd be great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I it's agree not only that. my family, Laura, at a, a pretty, you may or may not believe this, but I'm pretty well known in the little town of Johnston City as Goat Boy. So <laughs> I pull up to school and I'll see five or six kids wearing Cage Little Farm shirts just at school on a regular day. So uh, I guess I have a lot of support that way and I'm blessed to be able to have that. That's pretty cool. I will say it's it's really fun being I, – I remember when I was in high school and my friends would ask for hats or stuff like that. It is really fun to kind of share your logo with your friends. And I have – I gave out hats in college and I gave – I sent my, I sent my girlfriend stuff um, or I'm getting her stuff for Christmas. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's really fun to share that logo because you're like – Okay, that's a lot of hard work and, and, and determination I put into this. And seeing other one another person want to represent that as well, it's just a, a cool experience to have. Yeah. Well, Especially in high school. I, school I was Go gonna ahead. say a lot of the kids at most of the kids at my school, nobody has animals, nobody shows, uh, you know, nobody has livestock to the extent that I do. So everybody thinks it's cool to come out to the barn and milk a goat or whatever. So it's just kind of cool to be able to give them those shirts and to, to see them wearing them at school. So, Cade, uh, looking to your future now, what are your plans? And, and do you continue on planning on moving forward with your herd and the goats? Yes, there is not a plan in my mind that does not include the goats. That's something that I hope to be doing for a very, very long time. I really don't see myself ever losing interest in the goats or moving away from that. But as far as life outside of goats, I have been accepted to SIU Carbondale um, into the animal science program. Uh, and I chose SIU so that I could be at a university that's close to home so that I can still be actively involved with the goats and not have to sell half the herd and move away to college somewhere. Um, I'm going to be in the animal science program there. Now, whether I become a vet or an animal nutritionist, I haven't quite decided what I want to do with that animal science program, that degree, but I figure I'll figure something out by the time I get there. Jumping back a little bit to um, high school, dairy goats aren't spare the only thing left. that you do with your spare time, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a myth, isn't it? Well, I'm the president of the Johnson City FFA chapter. What other things are I'm you involved in I'm also the student body president and the president of National Honor Society. So in addition to the goats, I do a lot of community service just through the different uh, clubs I'm in at school. I work concession stands at ball games and just a lot of stuff through through high school. So how do you find time for it all? How do you balance what you're doing on the farm versus what you're doing in school? Well, I've never really known any different. And it's not like I started off with, you know, having always been to school and never had goats. And then all of a sudden I just have this huge responsibility of goats to take care of goats have pretty much always been a part of it for as long as I can remember. So that that's what I've grown up doing. That's what I, I've learned how to, you know, divide my time and to schedule things so that it doesn't get too overwhelming. And I really wouldn't have it any other way. So in the years that you've been breeding goats, Cade, what would you, what do you feel like has been well, the hardest thing that you've ever faced? I, I'll say at the beginning your dairy when goats. I, you know, just started shelling and really didn't have my herd built up and wasn't winning a whole lot. At the beginning, I really thought, uh, you know, I am never going to be winning in the show ring like X breeder. My goats are never going to look like Y, you know, and that was really hard at the beginning to overcome that feeling of, you know, my herd is never going to look like that. There's no way that is ever going to happen. But looking back now and seeing how I, I have achieved that success that I wanted back then, um, I, I'm really glad that I overcame that and I stuck with it, even though at the beginning I had a lot of doubts about where I would go with my breeding program, knowing that I stuck with it and that I stayed with it when the times got tough and I thought that you know, my future in the goat industry wasn't going to be as good as it has been. I I'm glad I stayed with it and was able to overcome that. 
that's a good point to make, Kate. Because I think a lot of people, when they start out, they they tend to get discouraged when they don't do as well as they had hoped, um, and and they tend to phase the goats out rather quickly because they didn't get the desired result they wanted yeah. to. So having that perseverance is really good and really important to all goat breeders out there that have that because you're not going to win no. every show. That's that's there's always in my opinion, there's always nicer goats out there. Um, and you're talking to the, the person that, that has had national champions and whatnot. There's always better goats out there. But as long as you're working towards your goal, um, that's where I find a lot of satisfaction. I am glad that I did stick with it. And I used to think, gosh, if I would have just started with some better goats or if I just would have done this or would have done that, I could be so much farther ahead. Looking back, I'm glad things happened the way they did because I was able to make a name for myself with my own goats and with my own blood, sweat, and tears. And I'm glad that it happened the way that it did, and I have more appreciation for what I have now because of the way it happened. What do you feel is the best thing about being involved with dairy goats from a youth perspective? Because I know that I know I've seen you um, involved in fitting contests and judging contests and in management and so yes, forth. Yes, I love that. What's your, what's your favorite part of, of being a dairy goat? Because youth? of the youth competitions. It is so cool to be able to go to the national show. Because at home, I, you know, I'm the only one that has goats that has livestock and that I, I feel like I'm alone when I'm in Johnson City High School and I start talking about you know, goat shows or whatever. But when I go to the national show, I'm surrounded by kids my age who have that same passion and who can sit and talk to me for hours about pedigrees and linear appraisal and can sit and judge and utter with me and not look at me like I'm stupid. So it is really cool to be able to go to those events. I love the fitting team competition. It is so much fun to, you know, get in ridiculously, <laughs> ridiculous costumes all just to, to clip a goat in under 30 minutes. I love the management competition. That's probably my favorite because, as you may or may not know, because I am on a podcast talking about goats right now, I love just to sit and talk <laughs> about goats and talk to breeders about what method works, what doesn't, you know, what products are you using, what products are you not. And management competition brings a lot of that in. You know, the competitions about feeding, the competi- or the questions about feeding, about genetics, about different stuff you can do in management of dairy goats that is super fun um actually in 2017 i won the junior management competition at nationals so that was a blessing um the judging competition is fun too because i hope to one day get my advocate judges license so that's good practice and good fun and it's it's a really great community dairy goat youth is especially in adga so cade if i'm a parent which I, I hypothetically could be someday. And I think I want to get my kids into goats. What is your pitch to that parent on why dairy goats is so um, fruitful? And, and what have you learned from that, from your growing up? And, and well, I would goats? just tell them how much I have learned from it and how much their kid is going to learn from it. I've learned so many lessons in responsibility you know i am married to the barn it does not matter what i want to do the goats have got to be fed and that you know it it grounds me and i have that responsibility that i always have to come back to i've learned a lot i've learned how to deal with the public i've learned about business you know my dad has has been in sales for over 25 years and he tries to teach me different things about business and about sales and working with the public and customers and, and i've been able to do that and learn people skills and learn it's not just about goats it's also communicating with other people um networking and learning i've learned how to manage money um i have a budget i have money that i need to make and if i cannot achieve that goal you know a goat has to be sold something's going to have to go so i've learned a lot through this dairy goat project and things that i would not have learned otherwise and I think it's an excellent opportunity for any kid, any parent who wants their kids to learn about responsibility, about money, about people skills. Dairy goats are the best thing for that. That's uh, My kids are getting goats now. Awesome. <laughs> uh, one, one thing that's kind of been on my mind here kind of throughout this, and I noticed it here, is the marketing campaign you do. Um, I think it normally starts around Christmas time with the Cades. I think it's Cades Little yeah. Farm Goat Giveaway. Can you talk about that? Explain that, and then what have been the results you have seen from that? 
not only from a marketing standpoint, but from a personal relationship standpoint. That's another thing that I love about the goats is I have been able to learn those marketing skills because I know there are herds out there who have some beautiful animals, but I've just never heard about them, maybe because they're not as good at marketing. So to be able to learn how to market your animals and sell them, you know, to post on Facebook when you have a win or just to talk about what you're doing in your herd and promoting your animals is a good thing. I was listening to your podcast a couple of weeks ago. You were talking about herds that are able to market and have these great, big, beautiful signs at their pens and they have this stuff on Facebook, but they're not able to follow it up with substance behind that. I think it's been uh, it's been good for me to be able to follow it up with that substance. I've been able to learn how to market on Facebook in the free doling contest is one of those things we have i think there were close to i think my post reach was like over thirty thousand people who viewed viewed the post thirty thousand people who have now seen the name cage little farm so you never know when one of those people might later on want to be getting into goats and they say huh i remember this page called cage little farm i might go check that out the way i see it is planting seeds and you can't go wrong with planting seeds in marketing Anywhere, especially in goats, and that free doling contest is one of those ways to do that. I think that was a a lot of fun. I I remember um, last year reading through some of the entries thinking, oh, I hope this one gets it, or oh, I hope that one gets it. You know, it's just, it's kind of neat. So I can imagine on your end, there's a lot of excitement when you finally get to draw for the person. It it is very exciting. And especially to see when a kid wins it or a 4 H family that. You know, it was just starting out. It's cool to be able to see them win and have that excitement and an excitement that I once had when I was that little. Um, it's just really cool to be able to pay it forward. So in the years that you've been that you've been a breeder now, what do you feel like is your greatest achievement um, in your in your herd? What's your greatest achievement so far? Well, I have had several first place wins at nationals. Uh, you know, I won the management competition. I was premier youth exhibitor at nationals in 2017. And those are all, those are all great. And those are all things that are good. But when it comes right down to it, I think the big thing is the consistency that I've developed in my herd. You know, used to, I talked a little bit about when I was younger and just starting out that I didn't even want to go out to the barn because, you know, my goats are never going to look like this breeder over here. They're never going to compete like that one over here, that one over there. To be able to have stuck with it and to see that my herd is now competing like I wanted it, like I wanted it to back then, to be able to have that success, to be able to have those homebred finish champions, that is what counts. And I'm so thrilled that I have been able to do that. And those, the wins and the bling are just part of a bigger, the, the overarching theme of having a consistent herd and sticking with it and working towards what you want in your breeding program. That's a really excellent point to bring up is, and and it's something that my, my parents have tried to strive to teach me. And I think Laura, you've strived to teach your daughters. This too is winning. Winning is great, but having a consistency of animals that you are proud of every single day says a lot more about your herd than just one yes. individual accolade. And don't you, I, I think you guys would agree with me on this statement. I told my daughters the absolute best compliment that I've ever gotten in the ring or gotten from other breeders is, oh, that's a, that's a yes. label wins doe. I can tell, look at the type. And, and when you know that you've set a type, that it's something that you appreciate in your herd, but then others can see it, man, does that just feel awesome? Yeah, I want to touch on that, Laura. I've yeah. also had several people in the last couple of years tell me, "What wow, you guys, you guys really have a type. I can tell when your goat walks in the ring. That's one of yours. That is the biggest compliment in the world. And sure, the wins are absolutely the best part is for me to be able to go out in the barn and look at my animals and feel satisfied with what I've done and feel accomplished in my breeding program. That is the best part. So and that's that's half the fun of it. Oh Sorry. yeah, go ahead, Laura. No. I was just going to say, so what would you like to see your herd achieve in the next five years or the next 10 years? Well, I think I have a goal that a lot of, a lot of dairy goat breeders do it. And is, I do want to have an Adgan national champion, a homebred top, a homebred Cades little farm animal top and bottom that goes out and wins the national show. I think that is the premier goal and one that, you know, all of my breeding plans are work towards is I want to have that national champion one day. Um, 
I want to have, you know, first place dairy herd at nationals. I want to have all that success at the national show. That is a big goal of mine. And I hope to one day accomplish that. Here's to it. Yeah. I hope you do. Yeah, definitely. I, you, you setting a type and, and following there, you're on the right steps. Definitely. Um, and, and I'm excited to watch your herd grow um, and develop uh, and seeing it come in such a short amount of time to where it is today mm-hmm. is, is really impressive. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm proud and I'm thankful you came on the podcast yeah. to talk to us. It's been fun having you, Cade. Thank you so very much for being You're here with welcome. us. You're very welcome. I've had a good time. Cade, where can we find you? And um, yeah, where can we find you? Uh, you can look me up farm? online, www.cadeslittlefarm.com. But the website, like most dairy goat breeders' websites, is always a work in progress. Uh, you can look up Cade's Little Farm on Facebook. And you can message me and talk about goats anytime you want. I will never complain if you message a goat question. And then you can also <laughs> find me on my personal page on Facebook and Instagram, Cade Cochran. Very awesome. Laura, what are we talking about next week? Well, you know, next week we are getting close to Thanksgiving. So our episode will come out just a couple days before that. So we're going to talk about what we're thankful for. And um, um, I, when I was thinking about this, I told myself, yeah, this is the feel good about goats episode. But, you know, this time of year, it's always good to look back and think about things that you're thankful for. And, and I think it'll be fun to kind of focus on that a little bit. So um but do you want to give them a little sneak peek about what we're going to be talking about uh, after Thanksgiving? Yes. Uh, as we know, um, Black Friday for many people have been canceled for all the stores and the craziness and whatnot. So we're going to be putting out a Black Friday special. Well, I don't know if it'll come out on Black Friday, probably that Monday or Tuesday afterwards. But um, about what is on our Christmas list for our goats um, any new tech that we want to add, anything that uh, we want we want for the farm. Just a fun episode about what's on our Christmas list so we can give you as listeners some things to buy the goat lover and your family. So this might be an episode you want to listen to in the car on the way back from um, wherever you're going for Thanksgiving, if we've got it out then, or, or yeah. uh, tell your significant other in your life, hey, you might listen to this podcast. Maybe they'll get you something on your, on your wish list that, that you didn't even know you wanted to have. And we might have a special guest if she can confirm to me. And yes, this is a message to the person I've asked to come on for that, that we would like you still to come on. So you know who you are. <laughs> we always like having guests. That's always fun. Yes. Yes. Cameron, thank you again for joining this, uh, joining our podcast this week. As always, it's fun to record with yeah. you. Yeah. Yes, Laura, always a great time to do. Don't forget to find us on Facebook. Like our page. We've been seeing an increase in likes. So thank you for that. Rate, like, subscribe. We're on Apple and Spotify and find us on the Anchor website as well there. And thank you all for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>